What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Mike Dolce Show. In studio, we have Mr. Rudy Inaba. What's going on? What's going on? Inaba? Inaba. Inaba. Fuck. It's close, close. Damn. Um, Rudy, you are the Director of Nutrition and Exercise for Cynogenics. That's correct. Cynogenics Corporate. Cynogenics. It's a corporate headquarters here in Las Vegas. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's a lot bigger than I had realized. I yeah. Relearning your bio. Yeah. We uh, opened in 1997 here in Las Vegas as they are. Um, as our number one center, uh, being a tourist destination. And since then, we branched out into 19 centers across the country, and I believe we have about five internationally now. Wow. And what is, what's the specialty? What do you guys do? So Cynogenics, we are the leaders in age management medicine. Uh, we take a proactive approach to healthcare. Um, we to a four-tier view of your health and put together a pr- uh, program for you. Uh, first tier being nutrition, second tier being nutraceuticals, a third being exercise, and fourth being hormone optimization. Um, all are equal parts. All play the same amount of importance. Um, a lot of times when someone looks into a testosterone program or they start to look into growth hormone supplementation, they feel like those clinics, that's all they're pushing. That's all they're driving forward. And many of them are like that. Yeah. However, we put the demand on our patients that you need to follow our nutrition program and our guidelines. And we also do a lot of our exercise testing so we can prescribe exercise based on their results. And they're all equal components. Um, you can't play one part of the game. You got to do all of them to be successful. And who's your muse? Who's the average demographic that walks through the door? Uh, average patient is probably between 40 and 65 years old for our executive health evaluations. Um, it's about a seven-hour comprehensive test, looking at about 100 different lab values when they come in from their blood, um, and then doing a series of biometric screening and exercise testing. Um, so 40 to 65-year-old male, about 30% of our patients are women. Uh, we're starting to creep into a lower aged range demographic, uh, primarily due to our a la carte services that we now offer, being DEXA scan analysis for body composition and bone mineral density, uh, VO2 max testing, resting metabolic rate testing. Uh, Vegas is a, a fitness capital of the United States almost, so yeah. uh, we do offer those services to a lot of teams out here, um, being some of our sponsors' gyms and some of our contacts out here. A lot of trainers have clients that they want to see how they're progressing, so the DEXA scan is really the most accurate way to assess that. Excellent. And can you break down exactly what the DEXA scan does? So the DEXA scan, so DEXA stands for Dual Energy X-Ray Absorptometry. Um, and what the, what? <laughs> and uh, what it is, essentially, it's just uh, X-ray technology, and it's a scanner. So um, people talk about underwater weighing and bod pod analysis, and they're all great tests. Um, underwater weighing, it's water displacement. Um, bod pod is gas displacement, because those, those two are the most similar in the way they're testing you. Um, however, it's unfortunate because they're kind of uncomfortable to do. In a bod pod, you're getting a Speedo. If you have a, you know, a lot of hair, you got to... What if you like to wear a Speedo? <laughs> uh, if you got a lot of hair, you got to put on like a swim cap. Um, anything that can kind of compress air pockets around your body. And you get into the bod pod and you start to look at the scale on a computer that's outside of the screen and you're breathing in the same manner there. And then what it's doing, it's looking at the gas displacement of your body within the chamber. Um, underwater weighing is similar, but it's now water displacement. So you get submerged underwater. Um, there's two different ways that I've done it. Um, one where they actually, um, it's a calculated test looking on your, your breathing rate. And the other one, you actually get underwater and you expel all of your tidal volume. So you get out all the air from your lungs and you get a weight of density under the water. Um, patients for our programs pay, um, upwards of, you know, $4,500 for an evaluation for an executive health evaluation. Um, so we want to be as comfortable and as concierge as possible. Sure. So DEXA scans, you actually don't need to change your clothes into a bathing suit. Um, you can wear everyday clothes. We do have you remove metal objects. And it's kind of like um, like one of those open-style tanning beds. You kind of lay down on the bed, and there's an arm that goes um, over the body in a series of scans. Um, we do a four-sequence scan. We do lumbar spine testing, um, looking at L1, 2, 3, and 4. 
and then we do a right and left hip test uh, looking at the neck of the femur. Uh, those two points being the neck of a femur and also your lower back are the two weakest points in the body with bone density as we age. And the- Not my body. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said maybe your body, and I was like, well, no, this fucker's pretty strong. So you guys know you're, what, 240? No, man, I'm like 225 to 230. Put your ass on this scale. I'm all upper body, man. Okay. I'm all upper body. How tall are you? Six, six, two. So you basically picture the rock. (laughs) I would say I would go that far. Yeah, picture the rock, and that's who's sitting in front of me. Okay, carry on. Sorry. (laughs) And then we do our uh, body composition testing. So that's going to give us total body bone density, but also body fat percentage. Um, It has about a 1% standard deviation. So it's uh, pretty much just as accurate if ran correctly as underwater weighing and bod pot analysis. And it's far more comfortable. Um, We break down regions. So we look at lean mass, fat mass, and bone mass of the right and left arm, right and left leg, trunk. Um, We can actually look a little bit deeper into where your body fat stores are, cutting it up into android fat, which is around the gut, gynoid fat, which is around the hips. And there's also newer technology uh, with GE, who we partner with, um, called... um, it's called core scan, which will actually give you a true measurement of visceral fat from the reading. Uh, visceral fat being the fat that's inside the abdominal cavity and around the organs, which can be, you know, over time toxic and inflammatory and lead to the onset of diabetes and metabolic syndrome. Damn. <laughs> and so the easiest way to check body fat that most people would think is skin calipers, right? They got uh, a trainer at the gym and he's saying, how fat are you? It's like 25%. I'm 13%. I'm, you know, yeah, yeah. it's so variable, yeah. unfortunately. As far as accessibility goes, that's certainly the easiest thing uh, yeah. working with a trainer. Um, skin fold analysis, um, it can be highly accurate as long as the tester and the test E, the person being tested, um, is they're kind of abiding by those rules. Um, if you ever had to do a skin fold measurement on a guy or a girl's thigh, um, who has a pretty significant amount of fat on their thigh and getting the right kind of caliper reading, getting the right kind of pinch with your fingers on that body part, um, it's pretty difficult to do. Um, it's going to take someone that does it fairly regularly, someone in a university setting that has someone you know overlooking them to make sure they're keeping those procedures going. Sure. Um, so that's why a lot of trainers do resort to the handheld. Um, you see them in all the gyms, the handheld um, bilateral impedance. Yep. Um, bilateral impedance is, is great, again, if it's done correctly. Yeah. Um, there's things that can throw it off. Since it's relying on the water intake of your body and how hydrated your muscles are, if you're dehydrated or if you're, you know, bloated or all these things, if women are on their period, um, all those things can throw a little bit of variation into your reading because your amount of water in your body is a little bit different. So what do you think about the InBody 770? We actually run it in two of our centers, I believe. We run them alongside the DEXA. So okay. um, with the DEXA scan, it's, it's radiation. You know, yeah. you get a small amount of radiation. Now, the state ah. comes out <laughs> Now <laughs> the state comes out every two years to do an assessment on all of our machines. Um, and what they, what they compare it to is about sitting outside in Las Vegas for 20 minutes. Um, so summertime out here in Vegas, people are outside all the time. So, you know, DEXA skin analysis isn't really that much in comparison. Um, you actually get a lot more radiation flying from East coast to West coast. Um, now we offer the in body, um, just as another way, as another method, because some gyms do have that now available. Like, um, I know our office in Houston, um, they'll have patients come and visit every quarter to do the DEXA scan. And if they want to do a check-in in in between that, maybe every six weeks, they alternate that with the in-body. So they never really put one set of results compared to the next set of results because sometimes it's apples and oranges. I mean, they're two different, you know, testing methods. Um, but they do track it both over time just so they have two pieces of information. Um, if someone is well hydrated and they're consistently hydrated before each test, they haven't excessively sweat, they haven't worked out excessively beforehand. If all those things are in place, you have a really strong repeatability and somewhat validity to the testing. There you go. 
<laughs> we have one in the office. Thank awesome. I was like, please don't fuck it up. <laughs> no, don't no. fuck it up. No, I like, and also too, you know, with the in body you have, you know, you have your four different points, uh, yep. and that makes a big difference. A lot of times, you'll see the ones that are strictly handheld, yep. and that really doesn't get as accurate of a result. Um, again, if it's something that you just need to test and retest, something at home for yourself, just to track which direction you're going. Yeah. Follow the guidelines as far as like the prerequisites to follow before you do a test. Yeah. And you see what direction you're going into. But if you want something like really valid as far as like an absolute result, the more sensors you have, the better. Yeah. And for us, obviously here, it's it's convenient. Yeah, I mean, that absolutely. lends itself perfectly to the environment that we're in right now. Yeah. But now that I know that you actually have a DEXA scan available a la carte, yeah. we can start sending some of our in-house clients or those that come into town yeah. up and to see you, which is awesome. Yeah, they're pretty expensive. I mean, DEXA scans, it's tough for like a, like a business to own for if sure. you're not like in a clinic. Um, DEXA scans, brand new, are probably around like 80 to 100 grand. Um, if you get like the larger models that have like a larger weight capacity, those are maybe upwards like 120. Is there a maintenance fee on those? So there's contracts. Once you get in a payment contract, it usually covers maintenance. Um, I work with GE pretty closely on those again since we have so okay. many centers. Um, but the maintenance can get you after, you know, the point when it's all paid for. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's nice. Um, you know, I like having it for us because our patients and the people we work with, when you're really watching nutrition, you're getting coached, you know, as, as frequently as you can. You're getting your program consistently updated. You're running VO2 max tests to update your interval training. Um, you're on, you know, potentially hormone optimization if it's indicated clinically. Um, we see really significant changes on the DEXA scan. Uh, we see like a 10% drop of body fat sometimes in guys as little as like 12 weeks. Huh. Um, so it's really valuable for us. Um, a lot of hospitals, they'll have DEXA scans, but they just don't have the software to measure body composition. They'll typically be using it for the aging woman who has osteopenia or osteoporosis. Sure. Um, they'll really only call that, that bone density scan maybe every two years uh, because it takes a little bit longer to change bone density. We do all the bone density changes every year at least uh, because we do see dramatic changes due to our nutraceuticals and also hormone potential. And that's the increase. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, interesting, man. Yeah. So I want to jump to from this, not a, a hard change to blood work <laughs> yeah you know because we we hammer and hammer so everybody listening i'm gonna assume has had their blood work done within the last three months okay i'm gonna, I'm gonna assume not i'm, but I'm gonna i know yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sticking up for them yeah um but that's what we hammer every yeah. three months if not my god it better be every six months yeah. like don't go a, a full year yeah um why is that you know it's really important um you know it's just like I mean, think of it as like, you know, keeping up, keeping tabs up on your car. I mean, you want to make sure that everything's operating correctly. You know, you can buy a new car, everything's running smoothly, but um, things start to deteriorate, they start to break down. And, you know, a couple years later, you have like this major multi-thousand dollar, you know, repair you need to make on your car. When really, you know, an oil change here and there, something small like that could have kept it up in shape. Um, So doing, doing the blood work is really important, not only to see how your, you know, diet's been and also how you've been, you know, what kind of inflammatory things have been going on. Uh, with blood work, we look at about 100 different lab values, anything from what you would look at as far as nutrition being your glucose, your insulin, your hemoglobin A1C, um, your lipid panel, so HDL being your good cholesterol, LDL, um, triglyceride levels. Um, we also look at uh, high-sensitivity CRP, which is a C-reactive protein. Um, that's a large marker for chronic inflammation. Um, a normal range is uh, between, it's like 0 to 2. For our Cynogenics patients, we try to keep them between a 0 and a 1. Uh, again, we're always looking for optimal. Um, if someone, say, for example, rolled their ankle or they have like a impinged bicep that's, you know, it's hot, like they just happened a couple weeks ago, when they get their blood done, that CRP is going to be spiked pretty elevated, like up into the teens, maybe higher. And that's that inflammatory response. That's when our body is, you know, we're increasing inflammation to start the recovery process. And that's all good and well. Um, but if you have like a two to a five CRP or you're running something like a low high number and you're not injured, that's chronic 
inflammation. And that is really what a lot of the medical professionals call the silent killer. And that's what's going to lead to heart disease and all these other inflammatory diseases, diabetes, metabolic syndrome uh, over a period of time. So keeping tabs on that's going to be really important too. And that can be found out just as simple as getting your blood drawn Correct. once every three months. Yeah. And that takes less time than standing in line at a fucking Starbucks. Yeah. When you schedule an appointment with your doctor, right? You yep. pop in, it's a five minute draw if that. Yep. And it, you know, it's tough. Like when you're working with a primary care doctor, um, you know, it's going to be tough for a doctor's perspective to sign off on an, uh, an ICD-9 code yeah. for like looking at your testosterone levels and your estrogen levels if you're like a 25 or 30 year old guy. Because, you know, if you're healthy, clinically healthy, the doc's going to, it's going to be hard to bill health sure. insurance that. But if it's an inflammatory marker that's, you know, measuring something that's potentially going to be, you know, detrimental to your health, that's easier for them to include into your labs. Typically, right. it's done alongside when someone's doing like a lipid panel. Okay. So That's awesome. Yeah. Um, most people don't, unfortunately. How many? Oh, vitamin D too. Vitamin D. Yeah, vitamin D. Um, you know, a lot of times people kind of, I mean, vitamin D is not like this like sexy romantic supplement. But um, it is not in your house. It's it's <laughs> it's extremely powerful. Um, you know, a vitamin D level less than twenty is considered um, vitamin D deficient. Um, however, you know, who wants to be you know passing as a D student? No, no pun intended. But, uh, you know, we want to be like around upwards of like a fifty to a seventy level. Um, you can get as high as hundred. However, when we start to get up to that level, it could be potentially toxic. So yeah. we want to watch that a little bit. And from a prescriptive standpoint, how many, I'm assuming most of your clients are patients, I should say, are taking in supplemental vitamin D? Yes. And, almost everyone. And what is the average intake? Because this is something that people are shocked. People mm-hmm. take 1,000 or 2,000 IUs. Mm-hmm. What are your people taking? We're taking anywhere from five to 10,000 IUs per day. Yeah. Um, I was at a conference a couple years ago. It's an age management medical group conference, um, MMG. And um, there was a speaker there who's from Jersey, uh, Dr. Derek De Silva. He's a big supplement guy. What up, Derek? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he was talking about how the daily recommendation of vitamin D, which is typically around like I think 400 to 800 IU, yeah. is what they're recommending yeah. right now. Um, the the recommendation was based off of math that was actually entered incorrectly. Um, of course, you need to add like another digit on that, so it's more like 4,000 to 8,000 IUs is the recommendation to get the change that you need to see in the blood. Um, so, and they have, why haven't they updated this? I don't know. I mean, it was, it's kind of like, I mean, when you go to these conferences that are anti-aging or age management medicine, um, you know, everything's research driven. I mean, none of this stuff is like quackery, but you know, a lot of primary care docs who are maybe in their family practice for the past 30 years who really haven't done their continuing education, that's how they see it as. So it's really hard when you, you know, if you're a PCP doc and for years you've been saying, you know, 400, 800 IUs of vitamin D is good. You hear a guy say, the math is wrong, and you're supposed to take 4,000, 8,000. Yeah. Off the bat, I mean, it sounds like it's crazy. But when you actually break down and look at it, he's, he's pretty correct. And really, if you're a good doctor and you're looking at blood work, you're just tracking the response. So yeah. why not give it a shot and actually see what happens? Because you're probably going to get a lot of benefits. Yeah. So. Vitamin D deficiency, what are some health conditions? Well, vitamin D deficiency, actually, if your levels are too low, that can lead to disease progression, obviously, over a longer period of time. Um, with heart disease, again, metabolic syndrome, I mean, anything inflammatory, really, that yeah. can kind of promote. Um, so really watch, and also affect uh, uh, testosterone levels, too. Um, one of the big questions I had on my social media after we spoke was, you know, what natural ways uh, people can improve their testosterone levels. And the vitamin D optimization is one big way to do that, too. Absolutely. So kind of like um, like a foundation to a house. And so vitamin D or DHEA to boost testosterone, if you could only choose one, which would it be? That's a good one. Um, that's a really good one. Now, just the fact that you, very intelligent yeah. man, this is what you do all day, yeah. have to pause because there's a similarity, and that's the yeah. point I'm trying to bring. Yeah. Lyoto Mishita mm-hmm. was 
has a two-year suspension oh, yeah. by USADA for taking a DHEA supplement. Yeah, yeah. And I Twitter tirated and said, what's the fucking difference it, yeah. between that and vitamin D3? Yeah. People, shut up, Dolce. You don't know what you're talking about. You fucking idiots yeah, out there. Yeah, it's stupid. And Canada, we, so we have Canadian patients too. Yep. Um, and we actually can't ship DHEA over the border to them. Crazy. So, yeah. But it's action in the human body. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, a good, a good, um, a good analogy. It's crazy. It's just of, deficiency. So one of our doctors, um, doctor, uh, she's actually here in Las Vegas. Uh, a couple years ago, she was awarded with one of the America's you know, top doctors award. Wow. Um, she, Kudos. She explains DHEA as the best supporting actor slash actress role in a movie. Yeah. You know, you have your best supporting that's actor awesome. being like testosterone and this and that for like, you know. That's the Stallone. Drive. Yeah, that's Stallone. <laughs> yep. And then, you know, your, your, your Dolph Lundgren is going to be your DHEA. <laughs> yep. You know, think about it that way. Like you need to have these building blocks in place. You need to have these precursors in place to have a well-rounded effect. Yep. And then vitamin D3, very powerful yep. action yep. that is so easy and so accessible for everybody listening right now. Both of them are, are well, yeah, I mean, Tested under the USADA, yeah, you don't want to do the DHEA, but everyday users, I mean, they're cheap. You should be on both. And so. if you're not a drug-tested athlete, you should be, I mean, you just go to fucking Whole Foods. Go to Cynogenics.com. So uh, Cynogenicsstore.com. Yeah. Cynogenicsstore.com. And actually, I don't want to forget, I knew I was coming today, so I talked to our online store team, and then um, there's a one-time uh, online store coupon. If you enter in podcast, you get 20% off. All shipping is free if it's Boom. over 125 bucks. Boom! That's awesome. So as we get deeper in, into the show, we'll talk more about yeah. the actual supplements Absolutely. you guys yeah, have. For sure. And Rudy's not here to sell supplements. No, no, no. He's, he changes people's lives. That's why he's on the show. I, everybody, you guys, I mean, huge response the last time you were on. So many questions. Yeah, yeah. And long overdue getting you back on. So thanks. Oh, no. Yeah, thanks for having for me. For coming in. And I think we stumbled into just some kind of geeky science yeah. for a few. Um, I want to talk now about you being a meathead. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. your your Instagram Isn't account. That obvious? Look at you. Like I said, like, yeah, uh, uh, The Rock, but... <laughs> Um, your garage. Yeah. Your garage. You basically have a commercial gym in your garage. I love it, man. It's like the best investment as you can make. Like it is the best thing ever. Um, my son was born last March 2nd, 20, so 2016, March 2nd. And, um, from that point on, I didn't miss a workout, but I didn't work out in a commercial gym for like seven months. Yep. And, uh, you know, just had my normal progress just as planned, you know, stuck to my routine, didn't miss any exercises. Everything was to a T scheduled. Um, you know, when you kind of hedge your bets the right way, I mean, all you're going to do is win. So it's, it's good having the home gym cause there's no excuses. And so congratulations once again. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're married man. Likewise. Likewise. I appreciate Thank you. <laughs> um, married man. Yep. With child. Yes. Busy executive. Super fucking fit. So and what I'm drilling down to now is time. Yeah. You have every excuse in the world to not get your workout in, to not focus on nutrition, to not optimize your health. Because you're busy providing for your family or spending time with your family or, you know, doing all the things that everybody listening right now makes excuses for. I'm talking to you. <laughs> How do you do it? You know, it's, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, that's certainly the thing. I mean, you know, people who have the schedule that works for them, it's not like it was, they just made a plan, stuck to it, and it was good from day one. I mean, there's, there's trial and error, um, you know, and, uh, you know, getting over that hump, kind of seeing where I needed the support. And again, like, you know, Vegas, you're driving to a gym for... 20 minutes, you get there, you park, you drive back, you know, that's wasted time. I mean, that's time that you could have been with your family. That's time you could have been doing other stuff with work. Um, so having something at home, like literally when I'm at home and I want to train, if my son goes down for a nap, I take my pre-workout and walk through two sets of doors and I'm in the gym and I'm training within five minutes. Um, so there's really no excuse there. And really when you set up your gym so that you're getting a better workout than what you would have in most commercial gyms, 
you're going to succeed. And you're going to hit those goals. Um, but really just seeing, you know, just, it's almost like setting up a budget with your money, you know, like, like where you have certain expenses, you know, where you need to put a little bit more into savings and, um, kind of just doing that with your time, just budgeting your time with the workplace, what your travels like back and forth to certain places. Do you need to be doing that? Um, how much time you want to spend your family? Like, even if it's like last night I worked out after my son went to sleep, you know, and it was late for me. I mean, I'm not used to working out at like eight 30 at night, but you got to do it. And again, if I don't have to drive to a gym and I just walk through a couple doors, it's a lot easier to stick to. And the time wise. So what time do you wake up? Like, give me a, a quick snapshot of schedule. I really like to show examples. Yeah, yeah. So everyone listening understands, and I know they do like, let's stop complaining. Let's fucking start. And how does like you successful yeah, yeah. guy, how do you do it? Cause it, and it's not always perfect. Yeah. Shit goes off the fucking was my daughter backcycled after daylight savings time. Yeah. She's yeah. waking up literally at like three thirty, four thirty in the morning. And then she's like, daddy, yeah, like let's yeah. roll. Yeah. So that's, it took me a week out of my training. So I had to like stack my training later on at night, which I hate to do. Yeah. Messed up my own sleep, but it's what dads do, right? Yeah. yeah. So give me, what do you do? So my wife gets up for work at 4.45 a.m. Monday through Thursday. Um, wow. So, and then, so I'll stay in bed because the baby, he's in his crib at home. So I'll stay in the bedroom um, with him probably until he gets up, which is around like 5.15 to 5.30. Um, so she's getting ready for work. And then I take care of my son um, while she's doing all that. And then she's out the door by 6.30. And then from there, I kind of get myself and him set up to kind of head out for the day. Um, I leave for our nanny's home um, at around eight o'clock, um, get to my office at around nine, and I'm at the office probably like my nine to five. And granted, I'm answering emails in the morning via my phone um, and also on my laptop at home, but I'm actually physically in the office probably from around nine to five. Um, come home, uh, I'll actually pick him up on the way home, and then wait for my wife to get home at 6.30, and then I'll either train as soon as she gets there. Um, or I'll actually train after we eat dinner and go to sleep. Um, I kind of like to know ahead of time because uh, I do kind of time my carbohydrates around training, um, either pre and also post workout. So I do want to make sure that I'm kind of you know fixing that around because that is what I felt um, helps my my training improve and stay intense and also you know keep body fat levels low. So um, you know if I know I'm going to have a short workout because of my time schedule, I'll dial back the carbohydrates pre workout, maybe load a little bit more in the back. Um, or the other way around, kind of play around that way. And why would you do that? I so, love this. I love this. <laughs> so it's the gold right here, people. So so carbohydrates are, are your brain's number one source uh, for energy. Um, now with keto, keto is great for for certain things, but for for high intensity training, being sprinting, uh, being resistance training, repetitions, um, and even for like uh, like combat sports uh, where you need you know cognitive function. I mean, combat sports aren't just two meatheads going into a ring or a cage and just fighting. I mean. You're trained in significant, you know, varieties of skills that you're kind of using your head as a library. I mean, talking to a couple of my buddies that that compete, you know, it's crazy to think what goes on in their head when they're looking at different, you know, combos that their opponents throwing and how they're going to react and how they're responding. A lot of things are happening in your brain, and if you're not fueling your brain with the right amount of fuel that's quickly accessed, like carbohydrates, then you're going to function. You know, let, your performance is going to go down. Right. Um, so. With me, I'll do around about 10 to 15% of my total caloric intake from uh, carbohydrates pre-workout. Um, then I'll do 40%, 45% in my post-workout shake in form of a liquid. And then my first meal after training is when I'll do probably around 30%, 35% of the remaining carbohydrates. So you're basically getting three carb yeah. feedings per yeah, day. three carb feedings. Probably like, think of it as like a, like a, half, like a half serving pre-workout and then two large servings post-workout. Yeah, and... You know the keto, the keto program, the keto lifestyle is very popular right oh, now. Oh, huge! Yeah, and it's popular for 
let's say three reasons. The first reason is because it sounds cool. Yeah. It sounds cool to say yeah. fucking keto. Yeah, yeah. And that's awesome. The second one is it's relatively easy. Yeah, it, it is. It is. That's to conceptualize. Just don't eat fucking carbs. And that that's probably the biggest problem yeah. is most people they don't follow the ketogenic meal plan accurately. They simply follow a low carb, very low carb yeah. diet and while never achieving ketosis, they're not aware of that. They just think they're keto yeah. because they're they're um you know, free of a uh, carbohydrate free. Yeah. And then the, the third part is, so the first part is cause it's cool. The second part, third part is because it works really fast for a short period of time yeah. enough to get you to be like, yeah, this fucking works. Yeah. And what we've seen here is a dramatic, the vast majority of people, they bounce out and they bounce pretty hard yeah. when they slingshot out of a misappropriated keto concept yeah. into processed carbohydrates. It's just, it's two months typically of metabolic damage or, Emotional issues. I mean, just the whole cascade. So thoughts, you know, so keto is, I mean, so we don't necessarily recommend keto, you know, as far as a cenogenics approach. Um, it's all based on, you know, where the person currently is at and what the priorities are. Yep. And most commonly, and this is most people going on a diet is that you are, you have too much body fat, you know, you're not, you're insensitive to your insulin response. So your, your insulin sensitivity is poor. Um, you're at risk for metabolic syndrome, type two diabetes. So losing fat, um, really overall in your entire body is probably the number one priority to maximize your health uh, right now. Uh, if you're a smoker, cutting out smoking is the first thing. If you're an overweight ex-smoker, then cutting out your fat is the next thing. Um, so keto is good and low-carb dieting is good because you do get a dramatic increase quickly. Not so much that you're, in my opinion, eating keto. It's that you're really improving your insulin sensitivity, which is going to, you know, insulin sensitivity being like if you're, if you're a person, you know, insulin is a good thing. I mean, we have insulin responses in our body to function as normal human beings. Time out. More <laughs> anabolic hormone, insulin or testosterone? I'd say I'd say most anabolic insulin, most optimal health, testosterone. Okay. Continue, sorry. So um you so, so, <laughs> so so with ins so with carbohydrates. So with, take a healthy person, um, have a carbohydrate meal, and then carbohydrates get broken down into glucose. Glucose is into our bloodstream. And insulin's job is to take the glucose out of the bloodstream, essentially sucking it out of the bloodstream and shuttling it into the cells, being the fat or the muscle cell. Um, depending upon your body, your body fat levels and your activity levels, where it goes is somewhat of a crapshoot. Um, now, if you time your carbohydrate meals around training, then you're more likely to shuttle that into your muscle stores as glycogen storage. Now, what happens is that over time, if someone's eating carbohydrates frequently, almost you know too much like if their carbohydrate intake is not balanced with their with their activity levels and with their expenditure levels, then we start to have this overconsumption of carbohydrates. There's constantly glucose into the bloodstream, and then insulin is consistently pumping out. And from that, when we sh when we pull out the glucose into a fasting blood draw, your insulin levels are still high even in a fasting state because they're just used to pumping out insulin all the time because you're eating carbs all the time. And what's poor about that is that that's going to lead to excess fat gain. That's what's going to lead to metabolic syndrome, uh, carrying the weight around the gut, around the love handles, you know, so it's difficult. Um, now, when we cut out the carbohydrates within those first six to eight weeks before our next set of follow-up labs, we're now shutting down that stimulus of glucose in the blood, at least as far as a heavy set goes. Do you pull the carbs completely or you just reduce it? So... I always like to say that we teach optimal and we set we, we negotiate the middle ground with each individual patient. So ideally, we would cut carbohydrates as far as all the dense carbohydrates, we would cut down as much as possible, being your rices, your potatoes, your pastas, whether it be rice, pasta, whole grain, whatever it is. Um, really, if you are a 40 to 65-year-old male, 
um, who's, you know, not really exercised that aggressively in the past, you know, 10 to 20 years, you're kind of like overselling yourself thinking that you need the carbohydrate for your physical activity level. Yep. So we'll dial it down to maybe like maybe two to three servings of, of a fruit um, per day at the most, uh, pairing that with a fatter protein to kind of help slow the digestion process. Um, but after that six to eight weeks and we look at the follow-up labs and now we see insulin sensitivity, you know, your fasting insulin levels are now less than two, which is the lowest recordable measure we can see. We know that, all right, now you're metabolically functioning much better and you're sensitive to insulin. So now you can eat carbohydrates a little bit more. Now, if you're still over fat, it's still not a qualifying factor for you to take in a ton of carbohydrates, maybe a little bit post-workout to kind of fuel the training, fuel the recovery process. Um, but we don't really kind of push more moderate to high carbohydrates until someone is body fat levels around 15% or lower, if they're exercising regularly with resistance training and high intensity interval training, and also if their blood work is there. So really carbohydrate consumption is really based on those things. Uh, if their blood can handle it, if the body fat levels can handle it, and also if it's fueling their exercise well. What's the ideal body fat percentage? Um, depends on the goal. You know, a lot of people come in and um, they want to say, I want to be single digit body fat percent. Yeah. Um, and then I, my, my next question is, have you ever hung out with a guy who's single digit body fat percent? Is That's that, a is, great is that, fucking question. You know, is, yeah. is that the guy you want to be all the time? Yeah. And most I hate that guy. No, yeah. It's, yeah. it's no. I used to be that. <laughs> um, you know, so 20% for men is what's considered normal. And then 25% for women is what's considered normal. Now, I tell everyone a heads up when they do a DEXA scan. Um, DEXA scan is like having like the hardest teacher in the world who's going to grade you on every little misprint you've ever done because um, it's getting everything. It's getting subcutaneous fat, intramuscular fat, and intraabdominal fat. Um, so a lot of guys who maybe think they're like 20, 22%, they'll come in and they're like 30. Yeah. Uh, women, I've seen body fat percents as high as like 45 up to 52% body fat. Wow. Um, granted, these are older women who have had a much longer time to you know build up a higher body fat level and also not really exercise bake. and lose muscle mass and all yeah. that stuff. But, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very uh, aggressive test as far as what the results are like. Um, Strip so, naked and 20 strangers are going to stare at you <laughs> and then tell you what they see. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, so 20% is what our first goal is for men. Sure. 25% is our first goal for women. Now, from there, we try to see, it, it's kind of, again, it's order of operations. You know, what's our first way to get a win, to, get, to kind of get our first W on the, on the board? Yep. And that's hitting that first percentage point. From there, we want to see, all right, let's look at your trunk fat levels. Because now on the DEXA scan, again, we can differentiate between total body fat, trunk fat, android fat, leg fat, arm fat, whatever. So trunk fat is going to be like your torso and your hips. Now, if that is above 20%, that's also increasing your risk for metabolic syndrome and diabetes and all these other things like heart disease, because that's primarily intra-abdominal fat that's around your organs. Mm -hmm. So we say, all right, now the next step is we want to focus on the trunk fat and get that below 20%. Now, to do that, you're going to lose a little more fat. What might happen to your total body fat? It might be down like 15, and your trunk will be 20, and that's good. Um, so really, we'll, from that point on, once we kind of hit those factors where we want to say, all right, all these levels are in check for managing your disease risk properly, risk properly um, where do you want to take it? You know, do you want to go lower and do like a photo shoot? Do you want to like, you know, take some pictures or go to a beach vacation? You want to get down to as close to 10% as you can? Or do you want to put on some muscle mass? Do you want to try and put on some mass now and maintain this 15% total body fat and 20% trunk fat? Because clinically, you're, at a, you're in a great spot. You know, your risk factors are low. You got your levels where we need them to be to manage. And now it's really what you want aesthetically and what your goals are. And that's where it kind of shifts. Um, you know, some people kind of fall into a trap where they just need to think about lower body fat, lower body fat, lower body fat. And then three years down the line, their adrenal glands are shot. They don't really look that good. They just look super skinny with clothes on, and they're like, "Like I'm doing everything I can." Well, you're just kind of dead set on this low body fat. When really, you know, 
do something else. Like maybe like do like a 12 week shift with your training program or with your nutrition program and kind of come back to it. Um, go through these periods and phases. I think you're going to be more successful. Awesome. You talked about insulin sensitivity mm-hmm. and how does insulin sensitivity affect body fat storage? It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Um, you know, really, you know, with insulin sensitivity, I mean, if, if you have high fasting insulin levels, which would mean that your, your insulin sensitivity is poor, um, you're going to be accumulating body fat pretty quickly. If you have really good insulin sensitivity, that means your your insulin's functioning well. It sees carbohydrates, insulin pops up, shoots that glucose right out of the blood, and you're good to go. Um, so that's what we want. Um, and that's much easier to put on muscle mass. It's much easier to lose body fat through training and through diet if your insulin sensitivity is improved, being fat, low fasting insulin. Um, there's some products out there that are also beneficial. Um, berberine is a good uh, antioxidant that can be used for um, managing. It's kind of like a glucose disposal supplement. There's a bunch. That's kind of a new category out there. Um, different antioxidants, different ingredients, um, even things like old school stuff like uh, vanadyl sulfate. Those are all things that people can nice. use that are that are insulin mimetics or they're also um, glucose disposal products that help improve insulin sensitivity. So if you were to describe the body of someone who has poor insulin sensitivity, mm-hmm. what would they what would they be carrying? How would they feel? Be central adiposity, so central body fat. So um, uh, you know, around the waist, around the midsection, um, kind of, you know, they're not they're not like the ideal body image that you know most men would want or most women would want. Um, hip heavy, yeah, hip belly heavy, heavy, waistline yeah, belly heavy. heavy um, you know, always fatigued. Um, one thing you know, speaking about fatigue with body fat levels, a lot of people don't understand is that you know people always say, "Oh, I lost weight. I have so much energy. I feel great." You know, I should have done this a long time ago. Well, well, why is that? Is it because you just look better in the mirror, partially? But your heart is supplying blood to your tissues. And your heart's a muscle, so it's working. So you need energy to to make the heart work, right? So muscle is active tissue. So your muscle tissue has a metabolic return. So you you burn fat with it. You get stronger. It helps support your bones. It helps do all these things, these functions of life. So muscle is like a high return investment. Body fat still requires blood supply, obviously, but it doesn't really have that metabolic um, kind of return on it or investment other than what we need to survive. Um, if you're walking around with, you know, 30% body fat versus 10% body fat, you have excess. Now the heart still needs to supply a pump blood to muscle and fat all day long. So as you lose that extra pounds of that fat, that's no longer tissue that your heart needs to supply blood to. And that's in turn really going to help with your energy levels. Would that be a reason why the leaner, lighter, more fasted of the elder population live longer? Potentially now, and that's just a curiosity. I don't yeah, know if there's no, been studies that's, that's on that. That's certainly potential. So, um, yeah, no. Um, so there's things called telomeres, right? So on on our DNA, so our strands of our DNA, uh, there's caps on them. Now, so we have our chromosomes, and they're within inside the DNA. Now, the DNA um, we have uh, telomeres. Now, telomeres, think of them like if I take a shoelace, right? If I pulled your shoe off, we took the shoelace off. Um, I'm ticklish, bro. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the uh, tips of the shoelace are always plastic, you know, like plastic coated. And, and why is that? It's to keep them from fraying and wearing down and destroying the shoelace. Telomeres are that supporting piece of our chromosomes and of our DNA. So what they are is that if you have long telomeres, you have more healthy cells and you're going to, it's going to, it represents longevity essentially. Now, as you smoke cigarettes, as you carry on a lot of body fat levels, if you have, you know, diabetes, heart disease, all these things. This is all metabolic stress and damage on the body. And those telomeres start to shorten. And the more short telomeres we have, that longevity is going away. And that's when we get closer to death. 
Um, each, each time we have cell, uh, cell division, that's when we're aging. And having the telomere caps there and having a strong amount of telomerase is really important to kind of maintain the integrity of the telomeres and of your health. Boom. <laughs> Repeat that back, everybody. And we test that, too. And you test that, too. Yeah. It's amazing the amount of testing that you guys do. Everything's data-driven, which makes oh, yeah. sense. And that's fucking unfortunately very rare, right? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's out there. There's a lot. I mean, there's, you know, with our telomere testing, I mean, we, we work with maybe three or four different vendors. Um, however, you know, most people don't know about it. And, yeah. um, you know, it's it, it's a good test for some people. Um, I'm not saying everyone needs to go out and test their telomeres right away, you know, go to this website and do it. Um, because a lot of things can improve it. I mean, you know, just overall health can improve it. Like if you're, you know, your adrenal function's good, if you're not stressed out all the time, if you exercise, if you eat well, antioxidant-rich diet, all these things can help maintain telomeres. Um, but the, a lot of people do like to get this testing done once they're kind of like, you know, it's just like as you start to learn diet and start to learn all these things in these fields of study, it's like you hit one level and you want to go like a couple inches deeper and a couple inches deeper and a couple inches deeper, a couple inches deeper. And uh, you become like an expert in that. And that's what these people are doing. You know, you start looking at telomeres. You want to look at micronutrient testing or you want to look at food allergy testing or you want to look at oncoblot testing. Um, oncoblot testing is actually looking for potential cancer cells in your body. Um, New Amsterdam genomics, we do genomic testing now too as well at our centers. And that's looking at your, genom- your uh, genetic risk factors to all these diseases. Wow. So it's like, you know, you don't need to do all that to live a healthy life. But as you start to knock off like your healthy checklist of, all right, I need to do X, Y, and Z to get this. All right, well, what else can I do? What else can I do? We offer those services. Have you seen an increase in lifespan for your clients? Like, is there any data that would show that? You know, uh, we do. We have, um, God, I wish I brought that study with me. We worked with a couple different, um, worked with some, I think, Nevada School of Medicine, Miami School of Medicine, UCLA, um, looking at some of the data. Um, now, obviously, a lot of it's quality of life. Um, a lot of it is body fat percentage loss. A lot of it is diabetes, uh, type 2 diabetes overturned um, back into normal ranges. As far as actual longevity and death rates, um, I need to look into that. Um, but, yeah, I don't have a solid answer for that one. That would be a great selling point. Yeah. Our yeah. patients live 17 years longer. <laughs> I think we get in trouble on that one, but, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, for sure. Wait till the FCC comes <laughs> yeah, in, right? yeah. Yeah, or whoever yeah, comes. Yeah. Oh, we didn't know about yeah. that. Now the quality of life is huge. I mean, you know, I from when I first started at Cenogenics, you know, we previously were known for a couple of our ads with a lot of our doctors showing how good a shape they were in, and yeah. you know, they're in great shape. I mean, these docs. I remember this. <laughs> I remember this. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Continue on. So it's like the airplane. Like people, when they think of Cenogenics, like I saw you guys in an, in an airplane magazine, and it's an image of one of our doctors and super lean guy, um, and that's what they get now you know, kind of look at the flip side of that. Take a 60-year-old guy who now has good insulin sensitivity, who's at a 15% body fat. Uh, you know, just, just think of you like your father's in this range. Like if you have like a 60-year-old dad, 65-year-old dad, imagine him, 15% body fat, healthy, no disease risk. Um, Big know, old boner. Well, yeah, having sex. <laughs> like, what? Feeling good, being confident, has drive. I mean, that's what we want our dads to be like. Like yeah. we want our dads to play with their grandkids and go to the soccer games and go to wrestling matches and all this stuff. I mean, that's that's the most value I think that our patients get out of that is that quality of life, spending that time with family, being healthy, not worrying like, man, I got to do, you know, my chemo and, you know, this and that, or I have my diabetes, you know, potentially getting like my toe amputated. Like that's all stuff that people, a lot of people deal with and, yeah. and it sucks. And, you know, if we had more people in that generation that were healthy, that were kind of setting those examples for their health, 
um, you know, we'd feel, you know, we'd feel a lot more comfortable. We'd feel a lot more confident in our aging population, not getting sick and, you know, being with family longer. We point to, we, we talk a lot about goal setting here and we try and tell everyone that, your fitness is, is more important than your family. It's more important than your finances. It's more important than anything. And people get pissed and more important than your faith. <laughs> and they get pissed. Yeah. And then within 30 seconds, they understand because if you're not fit, you can't take care of your family. You can't raise your grandchildren and even hold your great grandchildren. You can't pass on that wisdom and spend that valuable time. Yeah. You can't work as hard or be as effective at work. We know that you're yeah. fit, you know, yeah. Fitness allows you to be uber successful as a professional. Faith, I mean, depending on what your faith is, your creator wants you to be healthy and fit and and get shit done. Spread the word. Lead by example. So, and they kind of understand. And that, what you're saying, it's all about that quality of life and the extension of life without being morbid about it, you know, not uh, implanting our thoughts into a machine somewhere. It's just like this. You're in a machine. We tell we tell patients that you know like so I need to do high intensity interval training two or three times a week working up to this level of activity like you know, aggressive level into my anaerobic metabolism, and we're like well yeah but I mean you know do you brush your teeth twice a day well yeah my my dentist tells me to brush my teeth twice a day like, I got to do it it's just something I got to do exercise is no different I mean you know you got to take care of yourself it's just like anything else hell yeah so. Nobody wants to see fat, gross, sweaty, no offense, everybody, people walking around in general population. It's depressing, you know, and it looks, it's not aesthetically pleasing. It's not like a beautiful sunset and I'm not fat shaming. I'm, I'm, I'm health motivating. There's a big difference. Big difference. I mean, and I've been the fat guy. Like, so like I'm said, just saying, you know, and, and, and me too. I mean, I was, you know, the bigger kid playing football in high school. I've been there. I've been, I was the skinny kid on the other side of that, that over dieted for too long. Um, so really it's, uh, you know, it's, it's again, looking back to that, that heart analogy, like your heart is a pump to supply blood to, to living tissue, living tissue being muscle and fat. One, you get a good return on the other one. If you have too much of it, it's not really doing anything for you. So your heart's working with no pay. So, so those listening right now, what three tests should they, they get done today? Should they get done tomorrow? Should they get done immediately before Friday? They need to get done what? They want to know, so if their goal is just weight loss and kind of setting up a diet for themselves and really kind of, you know, getting ready for summer. About staying alive first. Staying alive. Yeah. So staying alive first, I would want to know, kind of get an idea of your body fat levels. Even if you're normal body fat, like if you're normal body weight, like you walk around, the, you know, walk around the gym and you look like, you know, just a normal dude, a uh, normal guy or girl, um, get your, like know your body fat. And if you can, doing a DEXA scan to see what your trunk fat is, seeing how much fat you're carrying in your midsection. Um, again, that's the most uh, risky stuff that can lead to disease development. Um, what I would also look at is, I mean, I'm going to just say blood work because that encompasses a lot of things from vitamin D deficiency to chronic inflammation to testosterone and all that other good stuff. Um, and then other than that, I, I mean, I would do the VO2 also. I mean, looking at how well your heart can function at peak performance. Um, most people don't do like an exercise stress test until they see a cardiologist when they're like above 40 years old. And even a stress test with a cardiologist is taking you to around 85% of your perceived maximum or your calculated maximum, sorry. And then it uses a calculation to look um, during your recovery to see how well your heart is functioning. But during that live test, you, you actually don't functionally go to, to full exertion. The VO2 max test, you actually go to a perceived maximum level of effort. So you're taking your heart to its true dynamic function and then seeing how you respond. Um, I was just back east in uh, northeast Pennsylvania uh, for the historical uh, snowfall that we had, 24 inches in a wow. day and uh, in March. <laughs> Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, there were like, it was like one day and we looked on the news and there's, you know, there's heart attacks all over the place. And think about it. If you're in a rural area, 
people maybe don't necessarily exercise. Maybe they go to the gym, but they're like reading a book on the on the on the bicycle or something. They're not really pushing themselves very that hard. And then they go and shovel snow. You got two feet of snow and you got twenty yards of a driveway to do. You're pushing your heart to a limit that it's not gone to before. Wow. It's cold, so your your vasoconstriction, so your blood vessels are tighter. Yeah. So your blood pressure is going up. Probably had a cup of coffee before you went outside, so that's even doing more so on the constriction. People have heart attacks. And you see it a lot in wintertime in these cold areas with that first snowfall. So, you know, having your heart being healthy and knowing what your heart can handle at peak performance, you'll know that from a VO2 test. Boom. That's crazy. And you guys actually saw in the news what people were oh, just yeah. dropping in their driveways? Yeah, no, heart attacks, yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. My fucking mom. It's, it's She refuses to let the local kid shovel her truck out. No, she's got to let him do it. My mom. <laughs> yeah. She's like, well, if you guys lived here. Like, <laughs> she's still in Jersey? She's still in Jersey. Nice. She's, yeah, just retired. God bless she her. come out? She, yeah, all the time. She comes yeah, out for a couple girl, weeks. Yeah, yeah, you know, can't keep her away. Yeah. Um, but we're like full time and then go visit, go visit Jersey in the fucking summer. Yeah. Wintertime is I this like place. Jersey in the summertime, man. It's, it's, it's awesome. Of course. You people, got the. People call it the armpit of Jersey. I was like, have you ever gone to like North Jersey, like like mid North New Jersey? It's, it's fucking, that's gorgeous. That's man, home. That's man, the, yeah. you're talking about my yeah. hometowns. Yeah. Um, it's heaven there. Yeah. Small little popular surf, Hills skate, fish. and like the rock, you know, like the cliff fronts and different colors. It's, it's fucking nice. Yeah. It's, there's real, yeah, real yeah, humans. Go to New Jersey. <laughs> go to Jersey. It's, <laughs> yeah, change the, the uh, summer. Change, the, the summertime. Um, so someone just asked, because we've been kind of live streaming on Facebook, live streaming on You got a good angle on, on me then, right? You got a great angle. Okay. You look awesome. All right, cool. Handsome man right there. <laughs> Your hand look massive, too. <laughs> My Uncle Creepy glasses. <laughs> you had black ones last time you were yeah, here. I, I still got them. Okay, yeah, I, got I like that. Flavor. You yeah. got some style, homie. Yeah. I like that. So a lot of questions about back fat. Okay. Mostly from guys, as it seems. You know, so there's a couple interesting stuff. Um, back fat being like lower back fat, like love handles, or like upper back fat? Uh, lower back fat. Lower back fat. Um, that's also tied with insulin sensitivity um, and also potentially estrogen levels. Um, Charles Polican does his uh, biosignature courses um, where he talks about – he does skin fold testing. He kind of yeah. trains people up on that. But he also talks about um, kind of different estrogen receptor sites in the body and where you're going to be storing more body fat levels. I haven't looked into it aggressively. Like I'm not really sure of the validity. I don't want to promote it in any way by any means. could be right. It could be wrong. Yeah. But – uh, for someone that does have excess levels of body fat levels, like in the in the love handle area, yeah. it could be linked to an elevated estrogen level. Um, so again, that's why blood work's important. Looking at your estrogen Absolutely. levels, what you can do to you know supplementally to maybe reduce those levels. We we need estrogen. We don't want to like say go take bodybuilding drugs and block out your estrogen completely. You still need it. Yeah. Uh, it's good for sex drive and bones and all these other benefits. Um, but maybe managing a little better through nutraceuticals, but also through diet. Um, cruciferous vegetables, things like uh, cabbage. Uh, cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, they're really high in indole-3-carbinol. And indole-3-carbinol is, it's going to help with estrogen metabolism. So if you have excess estrogen floating around in your blood, having that on a daily basis, some kind of those vegetables, maybe sporadically throughout the day, on a regular basis, can potentially help you with metabolizing that excess estrogen. And then what type of nutraceutical? Um, there's a couple things. Um, you can actually supplement directly with, with I3C, so being the indole-3-carbinol. Um, we actually, you know, not to put a plug in, but we also have, um, one that Estrofreeze is in the performance line. It's a Norway spruce lignin extract, which is actually a pharmaceutical, used to be a pharmaceutical in Norway, uh, for estrogen management. Um, and, uh, we also have a uh, apigenin stacked with that. So those are two things, two natural ingredients that have been used to help manage estrogen levels. How powerful would they be to some of the bodybuilding anti-estrogens? Um, they are, so just like anything else, like bodybuilding is a world, uh, I mean, I love bodybuilding, don't sure. get me wrong, but bodybuilding is a world of extremes yeah. in many cases. Um, so for example, like testosterone, like 
if a guy, if a bodybuilder who's taking testosterone, maybe he's taking like, say, maybe a thousand milligrams a week or something, which is is 10 times the standard HRT amount, typical HRT amount. Um, Now, his estrogen levels might go through the roof. So he would need a prescription, an Astrozole or a Novodex or Letrozole, any of those things that he would use from the black market to get that back down. Um, In that scenario, if you're taking that much testosterone and have that much of a conversion um, of aromatizing an estrogen, I don't think an over-the-counter product would work. Um, however, if you're a natural guy who just feels like, you know, your estrogen levels might be elevated or you had blood work done and you, you do prove you have higher estrogen levels, an over-the-counter product could work very well. Um, so I would, you know, recommend giving it a shot, um, seeing what you can do there, but also maybe taking some other ingredients um, that could potentially channel, um, you know, block off the conversion of the aromatase and maybe channel it into DHT and also to free testosterone. Um, things like nettle root extract um, I found to help kind of get more into free testosterone. Um, salt palmetto helps kind of manage the DHT amount. Um, so any kind of like natural ingredients that are out there that you'll see in a lot of like the, um, you know, there's that brand that does their commercials, like the natural testosterone formula you'll see like late at night on TV. Um, the ingredients are pretty good. I mean, the natural testosterone formula we have, you know, it's a really good option for people who are looking for over-the-counter products. Again, it helps maximize your natural production, channeling into free testosterone and limiting those conversions into estrogen and DHT. Awesome. So a couple not controversial, but debates, low intensity, steady state, cardiovascular activity, high intensity interval training difference. Yeah. I mean, it's all goal oriented. Um, you know, for, you know, going back to the executive side of things, you know, if you are an executive, um, you know, you want to see a return on time and on your investment, you know, fairly quickly. I mean, um, you know, everyone wants to see that, you know, you you invest in some stocks, you want to see them go up the next day, you know, it's what you want to see. Um, with the long, slow distance stuff, it just takes longer time uh, of your investment, and it takes it takes longer time for the training session itself, and it takes longer time overall in weeks and months to see those results. Now, the problem with the time thing is that time is valuable for everyone, and not everyone has a lot of it. So if you're setting yourself up with long, slow distance all the time, a lot of people fall off that wagon pretty quickly. Um, or they get, you know, they're doing it for show prep, managing, you know, they're doing like, you know, starting off with an hour a day and they go to like an hour and a half and then maybe two hours. And it works as this like pyramids, you know, this kind of pyramid progression. Um, it can work. Um, I've seen more downsides to it uh, with a lot of my patients. Again, it starts to eat up their schedule. Um, they don't necessarily, they're not necessarily low intensity. They're kind of like low moderate. So they're still stressing out their adrenal function a little bit. Yeah. Maybe they're not sleeping that well because they're getting up earlier to do the extra cardio. Yeah. So adrenal function starts to be a little bit depressed. Um, and then with your adrenal function depressing, that can in turn hurt your testosterone levels. Um, so I think the most bang for your buck would be the high-intensity interval training and short bursts. But you need to make sure you're getting up into that anaerobic metabolism to get the effects of it. Um, when I'll do tests on people on the VO2, say like they, they'll do like their, their target heart rate for their intervals is like 170. We get them up to 170 beats per minute on the bike, and we look at their metabolism if they're aerobic or anaerobic, and they're still not anaerobic yet. They need to get to like 180 to be anaerobic. Now, the problem with that is that they're training at home unknowingly in that submax level, thinking they're doing interval training, yeah. but they're not doing it. So they're getting frustrated, but they're still in a high enough level where they can stress out their adrenal function. Yeah. So if I say, all right, 170 is not your goal. We need to go up to 180, but now we're going to cut down your, t- your target time from 60 seconds down to 15 seconds. And you're going to rest for about another 60 seconds and repeat another 15 second interval. 
So the intervals are harder in intensity, but shorter in duration. And that's going to get them to the breaking point, crossing over into that anaerobic zone, where now they're increasing their growth hormone secretion and they're increasing their peak testosterone after exercise. So now you're using science to your advantage and kind of clearing up those potential things. Like interval training is more than just going from high to low. It's from going from aerobic into anaerobic. So once you know those numbers, how they correlate, you'll be better off. General rules for anaerobic. Anaerobic training, um, you know, it's um, it's kind of like the what I say with like New Year's resolutioners. It's um, exercise. I think I said that on the last podcast too. Exercise is merely a stimulus that's going to force an adaptation, and once you adapt, that stimulus is no longer a stimulus. It's just something that you've done to get to where you are. It's not going to take you into that next level. So continually updating your program. So with high intensity interval training, for example, if someone comes in on a VO two, and they get up to like one eighty, and that's their anaerobic threshold. And we look at their recovery zone after they tap out and the test is done. We do about a two to three minute recovery. If their heart rate doesn't drop back to, so say the first test, they hit up 180 and it takes them like three minutes to get back down yep. into like a comfortable range being their aerobic zone. And we would maybe start off with a three minute rest period for that initial person. Now, fast forward 12 weeks. If you're still doing 180 and you're resting three minutes in between your targets, it's, it's too long of rest. You're getting actually way below that moderate intensity aerobic zone. We need to maybe cut the rest period down to even a minute at that point or maybe a minute and a half. Maybe we need to extend that interval from 15 seconds to 30 seconds or even 45 seconds. Um, you know, we want to increase the difficulty of the test so we can uh, elicit the same response. Um, a good thing, if you're not going to do a VO2 test, is going off your breathing. Um, picture, for example, if you, um, you got two suitcases in each hand. They're like 30 to 40 pounds. And you pick them up and you go up two flights of stairs as hard as you can. Put the bags down. You're going to be sucking wind. Legs are going to be on fire. Your chest is going to be on fire. You're probably going to have your hands on your knees bent over a little bit, and you're going to hear yourself (sighs) sucking wind like that. When you hear that noise, that is an excellent cue that you are in your anaerobic zone, and you are in an oxygen debt, and you're producing more CO2 than consumed oxygen. So that's a perfect example of how you should feel when you're anaerobic. For someone to do a VO2 test and say their anaerobic zone is X, And then six, 10 weeks, 12 weeks later, they're still getting up to that zone, but they don't hear that noise with them breathing. They don't feel that way. Then they know it's not, it's not, it's no longer stimulus. It's not making that reaction. Interesting. That's an easy way for people to self-analyze what level they're in. And most people, like you said, they push themselves pretty hard. Good enough. I'm good. I did my time today. I got my, I'm breathing. I'm sweating, but they don't get themselves into the anaerobic zone. As far as high intensity interval training, you should work hard enough to make yourself feel like a beginner at exercise for it to be effective. Yep. So. Um, what else do we want to touch on fasting? What are your thoughts on uh, the, fasting, the different styles of fasting? Um, we had a couple of team members across our different centers uh, play around with it. Um, cool things we saw, like it's really dependent upon the user. Like I had one girl, um, she was dropping like a percent of body fat via DEXA scan, like every couple of weeks. Wow. Um, however, you know, she did have some muscle loss. She just had more fat loss to kind of cause that response. Um, her GH levels being her growth hormone levels, um, they were, they managed at the same, same kind of her IGF one levels were, were static throughout the testing. Okay. Um, but she just liked it because it was a challenge. Um, me from my bodybuilding background, I mean, it's a common argument uh, against the intermittent fasting is that, you know, it's going to be harder to maintain lean tissue because lean tissue is a, a living, breathing thing. Yeah. Um, you need to feed it in order for it to stay there rather than just stimulating it. You know, nutrition is, is a big component of that. And if you're cutting out the steady release of amino acids and glucose into the bloodstream for muscle mass, it's going to be difficult to maintain muscle mass if that's your goal. 
But then again, I don't really see too many people who are doing intermittent fasting that are trying to get like bigger and leaner. Um, usually if that's the case, they, they kind of know inherently that that's not really the best kind of dietitian or dietary scenario for them. Uh, for, for fat loss, they just feel like they're not eating as much. But um, it depends on the person. Like I know guys that will do intermittent fasting. They'll have a, like maybe like a six-hour window to eat. But once that window opens up, they're so like ravished and hungry that they'll like they'll eat way too much for one sitting. And then they kind of, you know, the excuse is that, well, I haven't eaten anything in the past, you know, 18 hours. Well, you know, just see how that pans out. You know, how long are you, able to, how long are you going to be able to sustain this? You know, is it a sustainable thing? Um, the best practice and the best diet you can do for yourself and for your goals is something that you can repeatedly do day in and day out for a long period of time. Whether that's intermittent fasting because your schedule, because you, you can't eat in the earlier part of the day because you're working on a different time zone or there's X, Y, and Z that you need to handle. And it's just easy for you to do that. If that works for you, that works for you. But, you know, if your goals change, then maybe you should revisit, you know, how you're doing things. And what about the the newest spin on intermittent fasting and keto is, you know, I, I call these second lives, second and third lives to mm-hmm. keep some oxygen into like paleo a few mm-hmm. years in the paleo solution and all that stuff. You know, the, the, the keto, it's, um, again, like we said earlier, it's just like a... People like saying it. I mean, like, sounds cool. I mean, I was I'm on a fucking keto, bro. Like, oh, I, I had a, I had a, a call with a friend, and he was like, "Yeah, my wife's like an expert in keto. She read like like two or three books on it." I was like, "Come on, <laughs> she's well read." I mean, she's well read. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's. It, I mean, she has she has a you know, new newfound passion for it, which is awesome. But oh, yeah. you know, I mean, it's it's not the the again, it's application. I mean, you know, keto if it's going to work for you in the short term for fat loss, then yeah. Um, there was a question I got on Twitter. Uh, maybe a couple months ago, asking if keto was a good option for combat athletes. And I was like, and right off the bat, and there was like tags like low carb and keto and this and that. And all these like low carb and keto book writers, you know, responded like, yes, it's great for athletes. Talk to so-and-so. You look at all the athletes they're referring to, and it's all like ultra endurance athletes whose primary fuel source during their mode of exercise is fat. They're not tapping into glycogen stores. So, of course, they're going to be able to perform at a competitive level if they are endurance athletes eating a lot of fat. If you are a combat athlete or a bodybuilder or a sprinter, anything along those lines that you need to tap into glycogen stores within your muscle and your skeletal muscle, you're not going to have that fuel to perform. You'll be able to move and function, but your performance level will will likely suffer. And what of the keto side pushes? They... they they try and make the argument that the body actually prefers to run on ketones. The body does not want run to want to run on glucose. I don't know. I mean, there's there's arguments back and forth. People cite literature back and forth. So um, let's say there's equal studies on both sides. There's not, but let's say there is yeah. from a practical perspective. That's what matters most. Yeah. Practically, what do we say? So practically, I mean, you know, it, again, it, it depends what what the action is. If it's like day to day, like like if me and you we're not working out today, we just have business stuff. We're answering emails. You're doing lectures. You're doing you know certifying courses for for trainers coming in. Um, we can function on ketones. I mean that's fine. I mean it's you know we still have memory recall. We still have all these other things going on with our brain. We're still functioning and walking around being human beings. But if we're gonna go into a gym and kind of hit our anaerobic targets in a sprint, and then we're going to go ahead and lift 85% of our repetition max in a squat for, you know, as many reps as we can for, you know, four different sets, that's, you know, ketones are not our most favorable favorable fuel source for that scenario. 
for day-to-day walking around. Why are you keto shaming, bro? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> if me and you walk around the, the desert and, like, hunt for food all day and kind of, like, make camp in the woods and kind of wake up in the morning and try to do the same thing over again, keto's fine. Yeah. I mean, if we, if we want to, you know, the whole thing is, like, arguing, like, you know, you know, cavemen eat this and that. And, and I'm not bashing paleo at all. I mean, I think paleo has a lot of great aspects to it. Um, but, you know, to say that fat should be our pure and only sole fuel source you know, because it's keto and that's how we were and that's how we're raised. We're not the same people. I mean, it's, I mean, we do different, we're the same people, but we do different things. I mean, cavemen didn't exercise. They didn't go lift weights for like an hour and like run sprints. I mean, they've ran and sprinted when they had to and they had to lift things when they had to. It was more so like more active daily movement versus once, structured exercise. And not once to twice a day yeah. for an hour yeah. and 20 minutes, yeah. you know. But also too, I mean, like look at, you know, MMA guys. I mean, yeah. You know, you have striking, you have grappling, you have strength and conditioning, you have flexibility work to do, you know, you have meditation, all these things. Yeah. There's all these different physical demands that require a variety of fuel sources. Now, again, fuel sources, we can adapt to anything, but it's what's most quickly available to perform. Um, and for some people, you know, if like when we talk about like sprinters, like, you know, a hundredth of a second is the difference Absolutely. between first and last. So we do we want to you know, take that risk when, you know, glycogen is our number one fuel source for our brain and our muscles in that high intensity anaerobic performance. Um, you know, do we want to take that risk and just solely rely on fat if we're in a highly competitive uh, sprint? So it's, it's difficult. You had spoken earlier about micronutrient deficiencies. Now, if you're following a, a keto diet, and I call these exclusionary diets, and I'm not, it's, you know, our stance is very solid that those are not the most efficient way to optimize health and performance. Short term, yeah, it can be yeah. done. And then so there's some outliers that they can operate really oh, fucking well for whatever outliers. reason. Yeah. yeah. But we're talking to 80% plus of the population right now for most of your life. Yeah. Exclusionary diets aren't the way to go. We always focus here as our principles on micronutrient density is the most important aspect of our nutrition. Yeah. And then we'll build out our macros and total caloric intake from there. And then we'll, you know, wave, you know, loading times mm-hmm. like you do, you know, yeah. you have your, your pre post workout window and then first meal after workout. Yeah. Awesome. We stack a little bit more carbohydrates into breakfast, but depending yeah. on the individual, yeah, yeah. some of our, cause our athletes are training two hours after yeah. that for, you know, same kind of concept. Absolutely. So is it, and we made the point and there's, we see data. I actually, I won't, spill my, my thoughts to you first. Um, how much more difficult is it to optimize micronutrition from an exclusionary meal plan? That's if you like find you keto, do paleo, but where are you getting all your micros when you have this issue? Yeah. You have a smaller group of foods to pull from. Yeah. Now again, that's, that's the tough thing. And especially when anyone does like, um, when anyone starts to exclude certain foods as like a rule, like with keto or like with those kind of other diets that kind of drop certain things, um, you kind of inherently drop other things, not because you have to, but because you start to get in your routine. Like, this is what I eat for breakfast when I'm running keto. This is what I eat for lunch when I'm running keto. This is what I eat for dinner. You know, fruit and vegetables, you know, fruits aren't really that mixed in. Uh, vegetables, you kind of stick to the stick to your guns, stuff that you can handle and that you want to that you want to eat. Yep. Um, now, that alone, I mean, just from doing that, that's going to be exclusionary on micronutrients if you're only eating maybe like four different fruits and vegetables during the day. Tack that on to other carbohydrates yeah. you may be consuming, like, you know, sweet potatoes with, you know, a lot of antioxidants in them, all these other foods, um, yeah, your micronutrient deficiency is going to go through the roof. And people will wonder why. Well, like, oh, I'm losing weight and, you know, I'm, I'm feeling good, but, you know, I have these levels that are off. Maybe my testosterone is dropping, my zinc levels are going down, all this, um, you know, again, everyone's different. Um, but, yeah, I would have to agree that. In general. Know, yeah, yeah, in general, it's just. It's short term, they can handle it. But as far as like long term lifestyle, I think you're going to come into some roadblocks. 
um, and you're going to need to make a couple changes. Now, that doesn't mean what you did was wrong. It sure. just means that, you know, that the new you, that new person with the new body fat and the new, you know, blood work, um, you need to make a slight adjustment to kind of stay on the right path. Yeah, and our concept is more like long-term, wide variety, micronutrient-dense, you know, you know, go through our principles. And then you can jump out every so often yeah. for a three-day, a 10-day, yeah. low-carb. And I won't use the term keto because that infers ketosis. So we'll just call it a low-carb diet because that's most people don't hit ketosis. And that's another misnomer yeah. with yeah. that conversation. They that's don't probably know. most people, yeah, most people that are saying keto. Briefly, because I know you're short on time, um, explain what ketosis is. So ketosis is when you you actually start to change running from glucose to on ketones. And it takes, it takes I think, probably around like 7 to 10 days uh, to really remove that glucose. And a lot of the misinformation right now says 3 to 4. Yeah. 7 to 10 days is average. And the research we've seen, many in the population, as many as 4 weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, you know, a better test is using those ketone strips and yeah. seeing when you start to smell like the kind of alcohol in your breath. Yeah. Um, again, it's like... I don't know. I mean, people can do it. They can experiment with it. But as far as, you know, long-term, like... like if that's someone's just invasive doing too, I got to yeah. piss on these ketone strips. I got to, it, it becomes invasive. So it's not practical for just the average citizen, yeah. let alone higher level executive, let's say, or moms. Yeah. If I look at my wife, my wife is busier than me for sure yeah. with her life. Yeah, trying yeah. to keep it together. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, when, when you're, when you're kind of seeing what you're going to be eating and kind of what, what tribe to follow, I guess you could say, um, you know, there, there's certain ones that are going to cover multiple grounds. Like if you do keto, maybe your, your primary goal is fat loss and weight loss. Same thing with like low carb, but with stuff like what you're doing with your clients and what I do with my clients and things like the Institute of Functional Medicine, um, you know, we're looking at long-term, you know, body fat changes, obviously, you know, like, like we want you to be healthy at the cellular level, you know, from really the inside out. If you're carrying excess fat on your body, you're going to lose that as a secondary effect of just being healthier and eating more nutrient-rich foods. So if if all you're thinking is fat loss, then people are going to go and try that keto and the low-carb stuff because they're going to see the weight on the scale drop. They'll see the weight on the scale drop on kind of stuff like what we do, but it's going to be a longer period of time. However, you're far more healthy and you're setting yourself up with the lifestyle choices and these habits that are going to be sustainable and that are going to be really beneficial to you 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, because yeah. you're having these antioxidants con con consistently in your body, um, you know, managing disease risk, you're managing insulin levels when you eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, um, you know, even your sweet potatoes, all these antioxidant-dense foods. Um, Institute of Functional Medicine, they have this thing called a color, it's not a color wheel, but it's like a, it's like a little pyramid thing that says, like, eat your colors. And um, you can probably find it online if you just, you know, Google um, Institute of Functional Medicine color wheel. And it's basically these little blocks, and there's like purple and red and orange and green, whatever. And they list different foods in each one of those blocks and what systems they, what systems those antioxidants and those foods are working on, whether it be eye health or you know intestinal health or um, skin. And it shows you, all right, well, I need to have something from each one of these colors within my daily meal plan. It's something easy for me to see. And it's cool because there's like you know five to ten to fifteen different fruits and vegetables in each one, uh, potatoes as well. So you can actually see like, all right, well, I can have variety and still get the same outcomes from this. And that is going to give you food variation. It's going to let you experience new different foods, um, multiple types of fiber, uh, multiple antioxidants. And you're not going to get stuck in this rut where if you're on a diet, you won't eat the same thing over and over and over again. That doesn't teach you anything. Like if you're eating the same diet, Monday, you know, Monday through Friday, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, all that, and you go on vacation for a week, it's either like you just fall off the wagon because yeah. you can't stick with it. However, like the posts that you have, like, you know, 
there's you have plan A and you have B and C and D, and the more you options you have in your head and your library of foods that you can eat, the easier it is to adjust wherever you are, whether it be a fast food restaurant where you can get the next best thing or like a upscale steakhouse on the strip. You know, there's a lot of things you can do. Yeah, and going out, our principles, we say lean, green, and clean, yeah. lean proteins, green vegetables, and clean burning carbohydrates. Yeah. If the establishment doesn't have that option, we just double up on the other two. So the yeah. one you saw... Yeah. Two grilled chicken breasts yeah, yeah. and two servings of, of plant products yeah. of you know of salads and, yeah. and cabbage. They didn't have any. There's French fries and sweet potato fries. Yeah, I'm good on that. Just give me more. Yeah, give me more greens. Give me yeah. more. You know, give me more veg. Yeah, and I had a fucking amazing meal. Yeah, and I got like, I got <laughs> people start talking shit like I'm fat shaming. <laughs> Let's let people have fun, Dolce, and it must be nice high up on your horse there. Just saying like no, like here's. Here it is. You know, this is me sitting in the middle of, of population. Yeah. Two out of three of the people in there will die yeah. because they're making these type of decisions thousands and tens of thousands of times per year. Yeah. It's not there one time. Yeah. Fine. Enjoy the one time. Yeah, yeah. But I could have too. Yeah. I've earned my ability to have my one time. I'm not going to fucking yeah. good. Yeah. Give me the, I, I feel better. And that's part of it. Yeah. I feel better. I live better. Everything, everything in life is better. And a lot of those out there, not listeners of our show. <laughs> They don't feel that. They don't know what that means. Yeah. So they battle back. It's cool to see what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. And you're real. I mean, you're changing the game. You're taking science, but you're making science accessible to average people. I mean, you're, it's, it's elite. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you guys are doing is very rare because Vegas is one of the HRT centers of the world. It feels like, but I've been in Dallas, Texas and every fucking bathroom you walk into <laughs> the testosterone ad. Yeah. yeah it's, it's you know. insane. Um, so it's, it's awesome to see what you guys are doing. Now, what's next? What's the innovations? Um, you know, we just launched the genomic testing, which is really cool. Um, so we plan on expanding that. Um, myself and Dr. George Shapiro, who um, is um, president or co-president, I believe. Of, I could be wrong on that title, so don't quote me on that. But um, he's at Emperor. our he's at our Cenogenics uh, New York City office down in a uh, financial district on Wall Street. Okay, him and I went to the Arnold and spoke about really the Did advancements. Did you compete? <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but uh, we spoke on really the advancements in age management medicine and um, the new terminology that's shifting towards is precision medicine. Okay. Um, because um, kind of separating stuff that like what we do at Cenogenics, again, to the other like kind of anti-aging kind of clinics. With precision medicine, it's very different from your typical experience. Like generally, like when we grow up, um, the doctor was a place you went to when you weren't feeling very good. The doctor made an assessment recommended something for you to take. You took it, you felt better, you lived a longer way, and that was it. So it was kind of like you, you, you went to it when you needed it. Yeah. With precision medicine, you're, you're pretty much healthy going in as far as you know. There's no like you know, short-term sickness or anything. You meet with your doctor. You do all these tests like what we do. We do genomic testing. You do hormone testing. We look at your VO2 max. We look at your body composition. We put together a plan for you to execute over a period of time, you know, almost immediately. We follow up. We do follow-up blood draws. We look to see how you're doing. Our doctors look at the blood as a healthy individual, how you're progressing. You talk with your nutrition exercise team members to update your programs. We do all these things proactively according to what your levels are like and what your goals are to have you live a healthier life over time. So you never really have that experience of having to go to the doctor when you're sick or when you're trying to battle disease. Um, obviously, we need that care. You know, That's not knocking sure. that at all. We need that. But we want to be as proactive as possible and kind of take care of ourselves early so that we don't need to do any of that. So really, as these advancements come on, like the genomic testing, like the telomere testing, um, these new advancements in like um, cholesterol levels, there's um, 
they're not super new, but they're newer ways for us to actually look at your um, your LDL, if it's light and fluffy LDL or if it's more dense LDL. And that's the new advancement yeah. in There's, cholesterol testing, yeah, correct? Yeah. yeah, and it's actually being able to see that, you know, not all LDL is the same. Um, classically, we say LDL is your bad cholesterol, but, you know, we still need some of it. And when we break down a little bit further, we get to see, you know, which one's the better one and which one's the one that we don't want to have as much. Um, and same, are there targeted ways to improve the ratio? Uh, yeah, I mean, yet? typically through diet, through diet okay. and exercise and kind of seeing where it goes there. Um, nutraceuticals. Crazy how much is regulated through diet and exercise yeah. before pharmaceutical nutraceuticals and pharmaceuticals yeah. come into play? Yeah, the, um, the other thing we're looking to do, too, is not only like nutrition, exercise and hormones, but also muscular musculoskeletal health, um, being like having like how how really the integrity of your skeletal muscle, um, kind of like ART stuff that a lot of guys are doing. Okay. Um, I recently got into the dry needling with one of my guys out here in Las Vegas um, from an injury I had. My lower back, my erector seized up, and my glutes seized up, and it got to the point where I actually had like a like a lateral shift. So you have like your sternum right and your belly button, and then your hips. My hips were probably like a good two to three inches offset because my my lumbar locked up so much to protect my spine because I had a bulging disc and this dry needling, it was super cool, man. It was like they do the acupuncture needles into the muscle, the skeletal muscle until it hits the base where it hits the bone. And then you kind of have a flick or a twitch in your muscle. Then from there they put on a tens unit. So it sends a mild electrical current down to the base of the muscle. So you're actually working on breaking up this tight tissue, not from the outside in like you get with like the Graston method and all these other things sure. it's actually from the inside out um so it's really cool i mean geez i mean i got it done and within four days i was walking around pretty good i probably started working out within you know four days after the injury wow yeah so that kind of stuff you know kind of yeah, seeing okay. who we can partner with what kind of testing we can do to see like functional assessments like like a like a sit to stand kind of thing for an elderly population uh, what kind of hips way we have when they're standing on one leg and how we can integrate some of those things. So it's, that's something new that we haven't integrated yet into our centers, but I do feel like there's a lot of potential because um, there's a lot of value in it. You know, if someone comes in injured, they do X amount of treatments and now they're moving, you know, better than they were before the injury happened. Ton value there. That's going to help them recover better. That's going to allow them to get back on track with their exercise. That's going to help their quality of life. Um, you know, young dads like us, I mean, like when I hurt my back, like getting up off the floor and trying to yeah. pick up my son was like, ridiculous. Yeah. And this got me back within a really short amount of days. And you realize fitness is the most important aspect of being <laughs> a dad, right? Yeah. That's where it all ties in. So everybody listening, how can they get in touch with you professionally? If they want to set up an appointment, yeah, they want to, you know, whatever, a la carte, however yeah. it goes. So professionally, they can reach me at my email address. Um, it's uh, rinaba, so the letter R, I-N-A, B as in boy, A, at senogenics.com. Um, and if you want to, you can also get me on social media and just say, Hey, I'm interested in getting a a la carte service with Cenogenics. Uh, you can direct message me that and I'll get that set up with our centers. We have 19 centers across the country. Um, all of our centers offer a la carte. Um, I'm sure it would be, you know, you can reach out to them directly if you like, or you can reach out to me and I'll connect you with the nutrition exercise team member at that location. Um, they all come through to Las Vegas to train with me and our team here, uh, before they go out to their own existing center. So they're all coming here to learn. Um, they're all exercise physiologists, um, with ACSM and SCA certifications, typically master's degrees. Uh, so we have a great team. I'm really you know, thankful. I have new, a new woman coming in tomorrow uh, training for our Beverly Hills office. Um, she's an Army vet, uh, finished number master's in nutrition. Wow. And then next week I have our exercise physiologist coming in from our Puerto Rico location in San Juan. Wow, so you guys are just expanding. Yeah. Big, big, big. And you're, you're the director of fitness, or director of nutrition and exercise. Yes. Through that center, which is awesome. Um, well, on Instagram, on Twitter, you are at Renegade underscore PRFM. Correct, correct. 
which is you have to follow this man on Instagram. <laughs> you're one of my favorite follows, actually. I love when you fucking post because I laugh, but you're, you're smart as shit, yeah. too. And yeah. it, every, there's lots of good takeaways. Yeah, just don't hold me to my uh, company title on my Instagram. I like to keep some of my own individuality in that, but uh, share the same kind of positive and quality information to everyone. So. <laughs> it's a different <laughs> delivery of the exact same science, yeah. which is fun. I enjoy that more. That's, yeah. that's more my Again, style. I mean, like, like, like what we said before, you know, we want to make education fun. Yeah. And, you know, we could spit out the same dry social media if we uh, wanted to. Uh, it's just white noise at this point. I mean, people are going to learn the best when you can kind of make that connection. And a lot of people do that through humor. And, you know, hopefully people get that when I when they see what I post. So Awesome. Well, Rudy, thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate it. Again, everyone can contact you. R. Inaba mm-hmm. at, I said it correctly? Yep, Senegenics. At com and at Renegade underscore PRFM. Um, I'll be posting about him over the next couple of days. So just check out the Instagram and Twitter feed. And my friend, I appreciate it. So let's get you back here soon. Absolutely. All right, guys and girls, hope you enjoyed that. And we will be back in a few short days. Go back and listen to our catalog if you haven't. I mean, obviously, go back and listen to Rudy's last episode, Science the Fuck Out of This, and uh, continue on through the, the journey, the rabbit hole of the Mike Dolce Show. Until next time, don't count calories. Make calories count. Boom. 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 Boom.